Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Anthony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host. Welcome back uh, to Strength to Be Human. We're back on to the interview segment of the show. As you know, and I don't mean to complain, but it, it's always a, a, a task and, and a trial to get folks because of scheduling. It, it's always the most complicated part of the show, but it's also a, a great blessing. Next, we have here with us uh, uh, Catherine Shields. Uh, she is a, a fiction writer, a, a retired educator from Miami, Florida, actually, and she's a member of the Florida Writers Association. Some of her work appeared in 45 uh, Women's uh, Literary Journal, uh, Levitate Magazine, and, of course, my journal, uh, Aerial Chart. Uh, We were uh, really fortunate to uh, nominate for the Pushcard Prize for Fiction, her fiction piece, uh, My Phantom Ovaries. Uh, Welcome, Catherine Shields. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me on the show. It's Um, it's definitely uh, exciting. I I really got to get a chance to really... Uh, interview too many people that are doing fiction, so it's a, a, a wonderful uh, angle to the show that we really haven't done very much in the past. So in that <laughs> level alone, it's exciting just from the literary creative standpoint. Well, I appreciate you being on your show. Thank you. And I'm excited to talk about my story. Yes, um, uh, definitely. Uh, I, I nominated it uh, not because it has such a cool title, because it does. I mean, I mean, you think about it, My Phantom Ovaries. Who, who would have thought of that? I never would have. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't come to my mind, you know, when I'm writing. You don't it. have them, yeah, and, and neither and, do and, I. It, it really helps. Yeah, so, uh, but uh, I, I like the title, and sometimes, and I preach this a lot to people, especially to the poets, listen, don't put some great poem out, and then, you're, you're, then you're, your title sucks. Because mm-hmm. in many ways, the title is sort of like a marketing thing. So I remember when it was first sent to me, I'm like, well, I got to read this. This is a cool title because that's how people think. I'm no different as a reader, even though I'm a writer and I'm an editor. So I'm like, yeah, I got to check this out. Who, who the heck knows what this could be about? And it wound up being something that was pretty fantastic. And I remembered it uh, for, for months on end until we got to that nomination stage. Tell me a little bit about the, the, you know, the backdrop of, of that, that story. Okay. The story starts um, in the doctor's office, but but at months before, maybe even a, a year before, I noticed something was going. Um, I'm in my 60s and my mid 60s, and I noticed that something was going on with my body. Something was protruding from my um, my vagina, and I I finally got up enough guts to look and see what was going on, and um, it was like seeing some kind of nightmare image. When I looked down in the mirror, I saw like a bulge coming out of me. And uh, of course, I, I, I thought, I have cancer. I'm dying. I have a tumor. And oh, I wow. wanted to run the other direction. And uh, I don't want to see this. I, I'm the kind of person who um, I want to I want to believe what I believe what I see is real. And I don't I don't want to look at what reality is. But I, I did make an appointment with the doctor. And I went in and he said, oh, you have um, prolapsed up. Uh, Prolapsed bladder. That's what he said. And he was the 
the general practitioner doctor and he said you need to go see a specialist for this because you're going to need to get some something done for it um, because you're dropping things are dropping you're older and things are dropping and I had heard of this you know my mother had a, a an experience I had taken her a few years earlier to her doctor because she has something called a pessary which uh, who would have ever heard of a pessary except women who are older do know what a pessary is. A pessary is a device that holds um, the organs in place. They don't drop out. And my mother has is in her 90s now. But at the time, she was in her early 90s. And her she'd forgotten about it. So she'd forgotten to go to the doctor. And when I finally got her to the doctor, she was having bleeding problems. The doctor said it's it's the skin has grown over it, which was a frightening idea. Wow. But then she had forced me to look at it. I'm going, I don't want to look at my mother's parts. I don't want to look at my mother's vagina. This is terrible. Um, it, it was a little funny, but it was like, as she finally, she goes, I don't know what to do. The doctor's going, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get this out. I go, well, you're the doctor. I don't know what to do. She finally got it out, but uh, that memory of that experience uh, haunted me. Uh, I, I'm seeing it, and then she hands it to me and goes, "Keep it, and she, if she needs it again, but we're going to keep it out for a while." Because my mother started experiencing other problems um, with infections, and 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 on top of that, she had Alzheimer's, so she goes and wasn't going to remember to keep going back to the doctor. Yeah. I kind of wow. had to take care of her at that point. Poor mom. She's still with us. She's 96. Um, God bless. Yes. But uh, so seeing that, I thought, well, I don't want to have that. I don't want to do that to myself or my daughters. God forbid I have to do that to my daughters to have them take mommy to the doctor and, you know, have, the, have this thing stuck in them. So I, I, when I went to the specialist, I was prepared to get maybe get um, this pressery put in. So that's how the story start, begins. Um, I'm in the doctor's office, the specialist, and he's saying, Yes, you do have a prolapsed bladder. You also have a prolapsed uterus. Um, what we do in this procedure is we just take everything out, give, every, give you a hysterectomy, because why do you need your uterus? You're 60, 68 years old, or, um, you know, 68 years old. Um, you don't need your bladder. You, you need your bladder. We'll put mesh in it. We'll take out your uterus, your ovaries, and your cervix. And hearing all this was like, what are you talking about? You must be out of your mind. And he goes, this is the procedure. If you want to know more, Google it. And that's exactly what I wrote in the story. Because when he said Google it, I thought, who on earth would hear a doctor say Google it? That, that was, it blew my mind. What? You know, what is he talking about? And, Did you and get goes, upset when he said that? I think I kind of drew a blank. Like, yes, I got upset. I, I wanted to hit him. But I, I, I'm pretty respectful. So I was like. Um, Google, he goes, here, I'll write it down for you. And you wrote it on a sheet of paper or a little, little pad, and out he went. He's gone. I, I really think doctors treat women different than men because, you know, if I had a prostate issue and this guy said Google it, I, I might I might just kick his butt right in the office because I'm like, <laughs> listen, I, I pay for some expensive insurance. I don't want to hear Google it. I want to hear about how the hell you're going to handle it because if you want to know how you're going to get paid, how about you Google it then? That's how you're going to get paid because I don't want to hear yeah. those answers at all. <laughs> I get. I guess he got sick of my questions because he was talking about the surgery and it was um, laparoscopic, easy, well, in and out, outpatient. You know, you know, you're in the hospital one night and that's it. But it was. This is not at all what I imagined he was going to say to me. So my picture in my mind was 
oh, you're going to go in, you're going to just, you're going to fix it. You're just going to fix a little few things and then I'll be out of there. I would be okay with the mesh. But when he started talking about removing everything, I, I didn't understand it. And he kept saying, well, we don't do, we do this because people get uterine cancer. I go, but I don't have uterine cancer. I don't have um, ovarian cancer. Well, you might. I well, I said in the future, I might have ovarian cancer. I'm going to take everything out now and, and take my ovaries out. But don't I need them? Well, they're not doing anything. I said, well, they might be doing a little bit of stuff. You don't know. But he didn't want to hear me argue. And, and that's when he dismissed me, basically he dismissed me, and said, just Google it and we'll schedule the surgery. Um, and, and so I walked out go, um, just bewildered because that's not at all what I expected to hear. My vision of what the dialogue was supposed to be with the doctor is, oh, we'll go in, we'll put a little bit of mesh in, we'll hold up your bladder and you'll be fine. Um, but then he started telling me my bladder and my uterus were all hanging out and well, we're going to get rid of one and sew up back up the other. Um, so that's how the, the, the scary part began there. And, and that scary part sent me on this uh, journey of, I, I have to write about this. And the doctor was also Lurch. He, the Lurch from the Adams Family, I'm sure a lot of people know that character. Oh, boy, um, yeah. He, he had his hands in his pocket. He was very stiff. And that's why he was dismissive probably too. And you now he's a surgeon. He doesn't want to deal with a hysterical woman going, wait, wait, I don't want you to take everything yeah. out. But he kept ensuring me that I didn't need it. And, and I thought, well, what if I think I do need it? But he was, he assured me I didn't need to go talk to the other doctor. So, um, I went through the process. He had me go to the second surgeon. He worked in hand in hand with another surgeon who was uh, going to remove everything. He would put, he would sew in the mesh, but the other surgeon would remove everything. So when I went to the second appointment, the second doctor was a little bit better, but he started drawing pictures on, on a pad, like, like cartoons. Um, like here, if you don't understand it, Chris didn't explain it to you. Chris was the other doctor. Um, well, I made up everyone's name, of course, but, um, <laughs> I changed everyone's name. And I changed the name of the hospital. I didn't want to get sued. But it was no, like, I understand this. I'm an, I'm an Italian, so I do this a lot. That's how we deal with reality. That's Manning Wing. <laughs> but uh, I think I called uh, – I, I think uh, I, I used their names like the characters. Like I started calling them Dr. Lurch, which was fine. I think I called him Dr. Lazaro or something. But he had another – he had a Hispanic name. But he was he – was, uh, they were both very nice, but they were both very distant and dismissive. Um, maybe they were nice, but I was too worked up and hysterical to, to even recognize, you know, I guess they helped me. I mean, I'm better. (laughs) Nothing's hanging out anymore. So I went to the second doctor and he started drawing pictures on a pad and he said, it's not a big deal and you should just take it out. And this is how we do it. This is how we do it. This is how we approach it. Um, I still wasn't reassured. Um, but he kind of you know, he spent maybe 10 minutes, maybe five minutes with me instead of um, the, the, the other doctor, I think, spent maybe less than less than two or three minutes. After he examined me, he was out of there. He had other people to see. Um, but I kept complaining, well, I don't have cancer. Why are you taking things out ahead of time when no one in my family has uterine cancer or, or you know, ovarian cancer? Well, you might. Women, women in your age group get it. And this is what we do. 
since we're going in there anyway. And we go in, we make little holes in your stomach, we find little holes and you're fine and you're out of there. So I wasn't sure what to do. I would, I didn't want to be like my mom, you know, seeing that, that device coming out of her and being stuck in there because she forgot about it. And, and yet I wanted to do something permanent. Um, and then we were going to go on a trip. So time was starting to run. Um, I wanted to go on this trip where I was going to do a lot of hiking and I wanted everything to be resolved by then. And the, and the, and the trip was in three months, two months, three months. And I would be healed by then if I did the surgery. So I impulsively just went ahead and said, okay, I'm going to do it. I, I didn't feel like I had a lot of other choices, but I felt like I was a little bit under the gun too. And I didn't want to think about it. I, I had two feelings about it, like get it out of the way, get it done, go, go blindly, go in and do it. Um, I'm not sure. So the, all that confusion led to more story, uh, the, but especially the emotions about it. There were so many emotions. I was crying about it. You know, uh, I'm old. Now I'm old. This is what old people have happened to them. And I was like facing like no, I, di I didn't have a disease. I, I should have been grateful this is fine. I, I can get this done. But it was like a threat to my womanhood, my humanity. I don't know. My womanhood. Um, it represented I had babies in there and I grew, grew my three children in, in there. And they're going to take everything out and it's going to be an empty. I'm going to be an empty show. <laughs> okay. Um uh, well, so I went to the... That's a human response. I mean, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing really that unusual about that. I, and, I, and I tell writers all the time that when, whenever um, they have an issue, sort of like yours, in, in terms of something that, that can be traumatic, it, it's a good idea to try to you know, uh, use some of it, if not all of it, for, for your writing because it, it, it lets you pass that through your system so that you, you don't get blocked and, and then you can't write anything else because you're all still trapped up with that. So this is a really a perfect example of that, uh, probably uh, more than people would, would realize uh, mm -hmm. on what they can actually do. But uh, you, you did it, and, hell, you, you had a great, great story and, and, and got nominated for it uh, on top of that. Uh, who, who knew, right? Right. Well, it was very therapeutic, and I'm glad that uh, that other people can relate to it. And I did show it to a few friends before I started uh, sending it out. Um and I gotta, I gotta say, oh, I went through lots of revisions with my mentor and editor, Dave Owens. He, he helped me immensely with it because I, I wrote the story, but then I had to put the sentences together better, have, have better, you know, images. Yeah, but it's just rewriting. That's what everybody has to do. The so rewriting that, was that's the it. hard part. Yep. I think I must have gone through 10 to 15 revisions with it. Yeah, that's, that's normal. Yep. Uh -huh. And I wasn't used to that, but I was determined. This was important to me to get this done. So even though it was a struggle, to go, I don't want to, I don't want to think about this anymore. I did it. I, I kept with it um, because it was so personal and, and and cathartic to write it and get it and get it out and actually i felt like i was kind of sticking it to the doctors my <laughs> story and that's really one of the motivations was i'm going to stick it to them they'll never know it but i'm sticking it to them anyway because how they treated me and then so later i went to the uh primary doctor and for blood work and i saw the female doctor and she goes oh 
of course, just lots of women have this happen. I've seen, I've seen um, uteruses fall out of vaginas. I go, you have? Yeah. She said, just do it. Don't do the pessary. And she talked me into it. So I was pushed in. Okay, I'm ready. I'm set. So I go to the hospital. Um, the doctor shows up right before the surgery, hands in his pocket, still very stiff, um, says to my husband, it's going to take about two hours. You can wait in the waiting room. And I think, uh, and I was asleep, so I, you know, I was out. I guess I learned later that he was sitting there talking to my daughter, saying, worrying about if I died because it was four hours later. Four hours later, I still wasn't out of uh, surgery. And so um, he was worrying about me. Um, and I woke up in the, in the recovery room, I think, and started throwing up, even though they promised you won't throw up, you won't be sick. We're going to do <laughs> we understand about uh, when you have oh, um, anesthesia. I told them I have anesthesia. I always like, get nauseous from it. Um, no, don't worry. We'll, we'll have drugs for that. I was throwing up left and right. And here I have you know, the surgery and I'm, this is awful. And it got, it went from bad to worse in the hospital. I hate hospitals. And they had a catheter in there. I guess they pulled it out. I, I was throwing up so much, I don't even know what was going on down there. <laughs> um, but then it was, it was just getting, I just wanted to get out of there by that point. And so that's in the story too, because the nurse is going, we have to pee in, and pee enough to show us you, you're capable of going home before we can release you. I think that was the, the next morning I had a, maybe it was a few hours later. I don't, I lost track of time because, you know, I was under sedated and everything. Um, but so once I got home, I, I, I think it was better. I was out of there. Everything was like kind of a nightmare. But so I proceeded to write it down because it was so challenging. I think you live near an airport, huh? Because I heard a couple of planes already. Uh, yes, I live in, I live Kind of near our airport, yeah. I'm out. I'm out on my patio looking at my. Yeah, that, that's fine, uh, folks. Uh, I can't screen that out in post production. Okay, so this uh, <laughs> again be another unique episode where we had a plane fly over a couple of times. It, it kind of, mm. it's kind of cool. I was in the air force, so I'll, I'll roll with it. <laughs> um, so I think that that sums up the whole story. Um, but I, I, I can't, I can't think of anything else I can say about. it. Uh, well, it, it's a, a definitely a, 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 an, an incredible uh, a journey uh, that you had to go through personally, and it's really a, a perfect example of of taking something that's a motivating factor and, and putting into something that's that's creative. Can you hear me? Okay. Oh. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Okay, sorry. That's okay. Uh, I don't know why that happened. Has that happened before to you? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've done the show now for almost an entire year, and there's really nothing that has not happened. I'm serious. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had a cat jump on the microphone. I had a dog almost knock down my computer. Uh, I had a, a lady one time I was interviewing. She says, I, I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so, I mean, you just never know what's going to happen. You just have to be prepared for it. The good thing is, because it isn't live, so to speak, you know, I could do lots of editing. Like, I was able to go into the other file. I found you. I put down Kathy Shields, part one. And now okay. this other part would be part two. I put it together. 
nobody even know. The only thing they're going to know is about the plane because I can't do anything about that. But okay. it, did, it right. didn't stop your voice or, or the clarity, so who, who cares? All right. I went inside, meanwhile. So it gives, it, it gives the show some character, planes flying everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that story. It really does illustrate uh, what I've talked about many times, that, that people can – you know, take uh, take events from their life, even if they could be traumatic, and, and, and try to have some fun with them in a fictional, poetic, or creative way. And, and maybe in that way, it, it serves not only as an artistic piece, but also maybe as a, a sort of personal therapy piece for a while. No one says that it can't be both. Well, yeah, everything I write tends to be like that. Um, me complaining about what's happened, the way I wanted it to be, the way it didn't work out the way I wanted it to be. Um, but I think that's human. I think a lot of, well, a lot of my friends who are women feel that way. Um, men are more stoic. They're like, okay, just take whatever comes, I think. But my um, tenets. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a big difference with, with genders. And I don't really believe that each gender is wrong in how they feel. They just have to, they have a, a sort of an institutional different approach to it all. And women tend to be. I, even if it sounds sexist, I, I just find it to be true in my life. They tend to rely more on emotional response to determine some of the truth of that moment, where a, a man often thinks that's a false thing. Yeah, I think that's that's generally what from my, from my experience. That's how I see it. That's how I see it. Um, but I'm I'm only in my head, so I don't know. But that's where I come from, in, in the things that I write about. Uh, you know, I, I'm writing about my daughter and uh, her, her disability, and I, I can only tell, tell the reader about what I'm experiencing, my emotions, the way I feel. Um, the same with uh, something else I'm working on. And I, I wrote about my elderly mother. I have a story uh, that I've written about her and her being in the nursing home. Um, it's, 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 my emotions drive me to write stuff that I think resonates with readers. Right. And, and, well, and, I like and, it and too. It, and it does. <laughs> and, and I definitely think that it does and it will continue to do so because I'm one of those uh, people that I'm, I'm a classic guy. I'm a classic Italian guy. So I'm not a great believer on relying on my own emotions. But as somebody who's a writer and an editor and a publisher and even a, a broadcaster now, I recognize and I appreciate and I encourage people to use those because oftentimes they have the germ of some creativity, if not just the whole ball of wax. So why not tap into something that's there that can become an inspirational, even the motivator for a person? So I see, at least on an academic level, I, I see the, the need for it and, and the use for it. So I, I just never discourage it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, that's, um, every, there's different kinds of writers and there's different kinds of, you know, genres. But uh, I think that's where I fit in is telling the truth about my experiences. Um, so that anyway, that's that's great. I, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Everybody's going to have a, a, a different approach. And I don't really think that your approach is is, is some sort of a you know, amateur way to get something done. I, I think it's a very natural approach that lots of writers do. It's just that later on, sometimes in their careers, they might divert over into something else just because, you know, either they've run out of traumatic material or, <laughs> or, or, or maybe they just want to use something that's a more emotional or free, like this, you know, your basic imagination or maybe a dream they had or something like that. 
and that, and that and that's okay too. But and I, I never I never tell somebody to do one thing or or the other. I always just say, you know, get out there, uh, start the writing, try to find something that you can at least anchor with, and, and then go with it. And oftentimes, uh, an emotion or a series of emotions are, are, are really a good start. <laughs> Well, um, I, yeah, I have a few things in mind, but my often I'll say to myself, well, I didn't get an MFA in creative writing. I didn't even go to school in, in English literature. My daughter did. She's a librarian. Um, no, my background was in education. Uh, I started out as an art student and then I switched to elementary education. So I, I sometimes don't want to, I don't allow myself, I put myself down for my background in not having any idea uh, about the writing process. But I'm learning, as I said, from um, various people and uh, from my writing coach, Dave. Uh, so I'm learning, uh, learning a lot about writing and about putting things together so that the reader, so people want to read it and they don't get bored and uh, go, ah, oh, this is... This I, doubt, is. I doubt you're going to have any problems with that. You're doing, you're doing great, Catherine. And, <laughs> And let me tell you something from my own experience. Beyond this show, I, I have a, a, a international literary journal called Aerial Chart. Okay, so I get between the two editors I have with me, all three of us, we, we get about maybe two to three hundred, depending on the season of the year, uh, entries a month. Okay, wow, so, submissions. That's a lot. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. And the bulk of the submissions I get in the category of the people who are, are from academia who have that MFA. Uh-huh. Oftentimes, eighty percent of those people I have to reject, and I have to reject them because they 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 write either like emotionless robots, or they're writing purely on technique, and they're not really saying anything that makes any damn difference at all in the world, or it's something that you know I could use as a cure for insomnia, but I'm not going to publish it. <laughs> so. Having that background, it, it, there's not the same thing as having Doesn't. inspiration. It's not the same thing as drawing from reality. Oftentimes, I find that their writing is clinical, and, and we don't need that. I don't have any room in my magazine or in my life for anything that's antiseptic. If you're not going to be trying to punch me in the face, if you're not going to try to say something that that's <coughs> useful, that's going to get us up and, and moving in the morning, or something that maybe we can think about during the day, there's no point in publishing you. I don't even know why you're writing it. So right. this is a real problem. Where I'm, and I'm not even making a joke at this. I could get some kid from Bangladesh, and I already had this happen, who said, I've only been writing in English for six months, and he achieves better in poetry than a guy that's been writing for 45 years, and he's a chair of English at a university. I'm oh, like, dude, what are you doing? What, what, what is this stuff? You're supposed to be uh, an expert in writing for 45 years. What the hell have you been doing? Because you haven't been writing. I don't know what you've been doing. Maybe you've just been copying somebody for the last 45 years and teaching your kids this. But this is anything I can use at all. It almost sounds like it's a facsimile of a life he doesn't lead. Uh-huh. So the guy from Bangladesh is writing from his heart, from right. The, right. the things that have happened to him. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, so I look for that validation, but I also understand that I don't need it. I'm, I'm writing from a place where... I, I like I said, I'm an emotional person, so uh, I think readers can can connect with that as long as I keep them interested. 
<laughs> One of the jobs as an editor, and even, of course, as a broadcaster, is to identify the people and the things that we can bring forth that people can possibly connect with, because that has to be an important criteria. Otherwise, all you're doing is, yeah, uh, Bill Johnson, uh, the chair of uh, Harvard, uh, I got his poem over here, and I think it's great because he's the chair at Harvard. Because that's all you're doing then. You don't know if there's a connection because you're not even evaluating it that way. You're just evaluating it on his resume. That's the worst way to do things in an artistic uh, venue, in my opinion. But this guy, he'll probably get published all over the universe just because of his bio. Uh-huh. I actually uh-huh. publish people because the work matters. First, it mattered to them, and then they made it matter to me. Now I'm hoping it's going to matter to the audience. But I'm believing that it's going to because I have enough experience to tell the difference. Okay. Well, I'm glad I got. I'm glad I found your your magazine and got my story published in it. I'll have to. I'll have to send in more. <laughs> I don't want to, because I, I really think that in the end, I wouldn't be creative, and it's really a, a, a facet of prejudice, you know. Uh, yeah, um, I'm glad that she was a teacher, and yeah, she's got a couple credits, but uh, no, I'll pass on this. I mean, uh-huh. that's just dumb. You, you have to be able to read the stuff and, and see, you know, does it have literary merit? Does it make a connection with you? Do you think it might make a connection with somebody else? Is it worth to take the chance on? And that's ultimately what you do uh, as an editor. And then when it's not, you, you try to give some decent feedback, because I'm one of the few people that actually give feedback. I don't do any soulless foam letter stuff that's just a bunch of nonsense too from from lazy people that don't don't want to do the work they're supposed to do as editors this is what an editor is supposed to do it's not the same as a writer it's not the same as a reader or, or anything else it's really just trying to evaluate will this thing make a connection and then secondly uh, on the on the private level you know is it going to uphold what my magazine is trying to do you know, it's a secondary thing. It's it's not primary, but you, you always have it in the back of your mind. God, I don't want to embarrass Ariel Short. Is this something that's going to really carry the day? And that's what I, I try to do the most, the most as possible. So uh, yours was very easy that way because I'm like, all right, first we got a, a interesting, unique story, and then we have it told well, uh, and then it's not hundred years long. It, it's it's short enough that you know people are not going to uh, you know go off and have a coffee in in the middle of it, and right. and, and of course, uh, quite frankly. Um, when you're talking about something like a, a women's issue and, and ovaries and, and all that, I have, and I have to look at it this way because, again, I'm the, I'm the editor and, and the publisher of the magazine, 66%, because I can tell I have, I literally have graphs and statistics behind the scenes so I can tell things, 66 internationally of my audience are women. So oh, I, okay. I have a good idea that, yeah, they're going to like this. And I don't know, you probably haven't noticed this, okay, but... I published your fiction piece in June of this year, 2019, okay? Yes. My yes. Phantom Ovaries. It is now December, uh, I believe it's the 7th, De- December the 7th, yes. all right? Your piece is still on my top 10 of things that are being read on my site, a site that has over 1,200 pieces of, of work, by the way. Oh, seriously? And, and as of today, right now, you're still hovering at number 7 on the top That's- 10 list. That's interesting. Cause, Six months uh, later. So that tells me women are interested. People like it. They're reading it because I, I can't manipulate it. It's automatically done that way. It's based on the connections that people do on that. So whatever it says is what it says. It says that people like what you're doing. There's just no way you can say otherwise. 
Well, I'm glad you're telling me this because um, there were a couple of places that I could send um, copies. Uh, uh, copies? Reprints. Uh, reprints, reprints, that's right. All right. Um, so I, I submitted it and got rejected from, I think, two or three different places. Um, I've gotten a lot of rejections lately, and I'm like, oh, I just, you just have to keep sending it out. But that also disturbs me, the writing process, which I don't know very much about. I'm learning because I'm starting to submit things. This last year was when I started finally just saying, I'm going to submit things, and I'm going to try to get something published. Maybe maybe I did it starting two years ago um, when my, my first story was published by um, Levitate magazine, which was a complete total surprise. Um but the rejections are okay. This is a part of the process. I don't understand. I'm I accept it. I got one the other day about something else. I was like, okay, fine. Just keep sending. I will find the right place to connect. And that's interesting. You told me about your audience. It's number seven, and all these women want to read it. That's great. Yeah, I remember I was I was mentioning to you that they don't allow profanity on the network for the show. Well. And in my in my journal, I uh, I don't mind having it there as long as it has some literary relevancy to the piece. So I'm uh-huh. okay with that. But uh, even then, I, I I make sure that when I get something, uh, it's going to be respectful. Because uh, if I would, I give you an example. I had a French writer. He 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 wrote something that I thought was 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 classy, but it, it had some sexuality into it uh, with with a girl. But it, I didn't think anything was out of taste at all. I, I thought it was respectful. When I published it, you would not believe the audience. They were, they were, they were like, killing me with emails. So oh. um, it, it's sometimes you have to be careful about that. So I often try to downplay some of that, and I often tell somebody, listen, I would like this normally, but I don't have an audience that's going to appreciate it. They're going to feel that I'm taking advantage of them or I'm not exercising a proper judgment. So if you can't couch this, then maybe just give me something else. Sometimes I have to do that. I'm not trying to censor anybody. But I uh-huh. do. I do have to listen to the audience, or they won't be there. I mean, I my, my my show, my uh, excuse me, my my magazine, Next. which is uh, has uh, readers and 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 readers and writers in in forty two countries right now, uh, you know, aerial chart. Um, we're we're going into two hundred thousand reads over there. I'm not even officially three years old yet, so it's picking That's up incredible. very well. It's doing extremely well, and we we do three to four or five thousand people a month that are reading it, and uh, I have enough statistics to understand you know and of course they'll they have no problem responding too so i have to be careful with that and i and what i find though and this is something that you might be able to use i i would hope it is this and this is the way of the world unfortunately uh but your piece of my phantom ovaries uh-huh. yes it, it wouldn't have gotten published in a lot of places and, and the reason why is because you're too forward in it, and most people don't like that. Even if they're a female editor, they're like, oh, God, I don't want to hear this. I want her to talk about women's rights and, and doing some marching uh, uh-huh. and, 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 and maybe punching Trump in the face or something. That, that's all they want to hear. You're going to write something that's real on an older woman's perspective. No, no, I don't want to hear that because most of them are younger women. They, they have no connection to what you're talking about. So no, they don't, they they don't really care. They so that's, that's, that's the irony you find yourself in. Some old Italian guy can publish this, some young girl from Nebraska, she's like, no, this is too much for me. Maybe my grandmother might like this or something, and I'm not going to publish it. So, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, you're going to face that sometimes. And so you, I think you're eventually going to get reprinted, 
But right. it's going to take a moment because you're going to have folks saying, I love it, but it's just too much for my audience. Or maybe it's even too much for me or I really can't feel the connection or whatever. And that's just that's just the way it's going to be for that particular piece. So you have to understand that sometimes people judge things that way, uh, whether that's fair or not. I don't know because I'm not a woman. But what I uh -huh. do what I do say is that if you're trying to do something beyond just literary merit, I don't really think you're, you're doing your job as the editor. That's just my that's just my feeling. I understand that you have to expect your audience. You know what I mean? And you know, quite frankly, if you're sending it to a you know a, a, a magazine that 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 might be a little bit more conservative or maybe just a little bit more you know low key about things, that that might be too much for them. It might be too much of a blast for them to be able to handle. Even though I think they'd probably use a wake up call with it, but. Uh, uh, others uh, they, they might they might just flow with that and sometimes and this is what's said i don't always if know if it truly works or not but sometimes they say you know if you have the time to try to examine generally what an issue or two was in that magazine before you submit it to see if you can capture a tone or not i don't really know if that really works i tell people you could try to do that and sometimes it does i even know a few magazines that it really does that way they actually stick to that but a lot of them say that, and then you, you send this thing thinking you fit in, and they still don't take it. So mm -hmm, it's hard mm -hmm. to it's hard to really gauge other other than that when you put more realer elements into stuff, especially if it has an emotional core, or God forbid, it actually has some truth in it. <laughs> you know, you're gonna you're gonna get some pushback now and then, and don't look at it as some kind of literary. Um, oh, they don't like my writing. Rejection. Yeah. It, <laughs> It's still a rejection. I mean, you can't deny rejection. Rejection is rejection. Sure. Just right. realize that they might reject you not because you're writing. They're rejecting you probably just because of the ovaries, okay? That, that's it. <laughs> yeah. That's the same thing. So you won't have to feel so weird about it, you know? I understand. Yeah, they, I, they, I don't, they don't think I write and suck. They just think that this subject is not for them. That, that's all. Right, right. And I think I need to, need to do a little bit more understand how to research it a little bit better but this is part of my learning curve uh learning how where to send it in because um i expect to be rejected but i i like when i'm accepted and i've gotten what four things five things accepted that's interesting it's a good it's, it's a good start and this is how you do things ultimately you have to figure out not just through research but your own personal and, and artistic feelings about where you want this to go and what you feel is acceptable on, on those acceptances. I, I had a conversation, and it still applies to you as a woman. I had a conversation with a black writer, and, and she was saying, uh, Mark, I, I got a lot of writing out there, but it's magazines that, that, that generally print black writers. Mm -hmm. So how do I judge it when I, when I send it out to people who are not exclusively a, a black writing place and I get rejections? What do I, what do I think about that? You know, and I just, I just reminded her of the simple truth as ultimately in the end, if you're happy with it being out there with that audience and you're happy as, as a credit, you really can't make a big difference about, oh, I'm being rejected by the ones that are less black and I'm being accepted uh -huh. by the ones that are more uh -huh. black. So where am I at in terms of the value? Uh, if, you go that too, if you go too far in that, you're going to wind up driving yourself crazy. And okay. It doesn't really do. It doesn't really do you any good because you can, if you want to, for just a short period of time, 
You know, uh, you know, Mark, I'm going to gather like 10 or 12 magazines that exclusively do a lot of women's writing and see what happens. Yeah, I, I think your chances are high that you're going to get a reprint on that. Right. Uh, are you supposed to later on reflect on that and say, yeah, it only got picked up because it's a women's thing. Otherwise, nobody else can Oh, okay. If you start thinking that way, what you do is you erode, first of all, the joy you get from that acceptance. And you should never want to get rid of that because – you're going to get so many rejections like all writers do that any time you get an acceptance, you should be jumping up and down. And, and if you start taking that away from yourself, what joy do you have left then? That's good advice. That's good. That's interesting advice. And your story about the black person is similar to my story I wrote about my mom. I sent it out to Jew. It was my mother's in a nursing home and it's run by uh, some Israeli people. And so I had like a Jewish take on it. Um, and I sent it to every Jewish magazine I could find, and it was rejected by all of them. Maybe they didn't like the subject, though. The subject of somebody being old and, uh, you know. Yeah. yeah. And my relationship with my mother is not, um, well, it's okay. I mean, I go and I help her and I make sure she's okay. But uh, I wouldn't say my mother is the warmest person in the world. So I had some of that, those feelings in that story. Of, of not connecting well with my mother, as well as I would have liked to have c connected with her during our lives together. So maybe they didn't like that tone of the, the daughter saying, the mother's not that great. You're going you know, to get that, Catherine. You're going to get that a, a lot. But what, what I always tell writers, and I would tell you as well, is that in the end, the only way you could be authentic as a writer is when you're authentic to yourself. Don't take mm -hmm. away your own joy because the world has no problem stomping on you whenever mm -hmm. they get a chance. And yes. then you always have to be honest with yourself. So why not, just for at least the beginning stages, you can always change this later, but why not try to focus on, I'm going to try to write about things about a woman who's older because I think that that's a good storyline to go out there and we don't see enough of that out there, so why not push that? And, and, and go from there because I, I read writers all the time I don't see enough of that at all even the women I don't even see enough of that it's uh -huh. one, one of the problems I have with the academic ones I told this guy one time and he was on messenger with me as well so I was able to talk to him more instantaneously and I said listen professor I'm not trying to be a jerk here okay yes. but I don't understand how a guy in his 60s is writing about smoking pot and hanging out with dudes who are like 20 years like younger than he is and playing cards, I don't understand this. Why are you not writing about your real life? Why are you writing something that I can easily tell is inauthentic? Why would you do this? It's why I'm, it's why I'm rejecting you because this is idiotic, first of all. Second of all, if I want this take, I'll get it from a real kid who's doing this. I, I'm not going to get it from a professor who has a Ph.D. Why the hell are you not writing about your life? And you, your wife dying after marrying her for 45 years and your kids right, moving away right. and the empty nest stuff and – and you going out to a bar maybe to find a date with a girl or something. Why are you not but, writing about the loneliness of your life? Not about this crap about how you're trying to be a kid again. It's just dumb. And that's what uh -huh. I told him. I, that was my rejection to him. I said, you need to go uh -huh. back to some reality here because this stuff is not working for me. And I don't know how it's going to work for anybody else. It just sounds corny and, and untrue. That's interesting. Well, maybe he is smoking pot with kids that are 20 years younger than him. People that are 20 years younger than him. He never replied to me, so I don't really know oh. the answer to that. But to me, from when I was reading, this is a man that I could tell can write, and he, he write it in such a clunky manner, it just looked like it was forced. And whenever somebody forces something, it usually means it's not very true. Uh-huh. I see. I see. Okay. 
Well, he should have gotten <laughs> gotten more authentic. That's that was your word. Yeah, that, authentic. That, that's what I'm saying. I, I, some people say, "Mark, you're being judgy," but I, listen, I, I said a part of an editor is to be a damn judge. That's what you're supposed to be doing, first of all. And, and second of all, if I am trying to find stuff to make a connection to me and to the audience, smoking pot. Hanging out with kids, drinking beer, and when you're like 65 years old, it makes no damn sense at all. That's not a connection at all. That's just you just trying to be hip, but that's not mm-hmm. that's not a connection. You're not you're not being real to yourself. Right. Well, maybe he is having some kind of breakdown, and that well, that is what he turned to. But he should have made it more, like you said, authentic. It could be happening. It could. It could, it, be, it his could real be, but uh, yeah. he's, he's not getting it down autistically. <laughs> I understand yeah. that. But my, sec- yeah. my second part of, uh, of my reply to him is just basically, listen, you, you, you're you're um, you're an educator for I think almost forty five years, and and you're also the chair of the English department. This is what <laughs> I'm getting from you: pot, alcohol, and, and a poem that looks like some kid wrote it in, in middle school. I mean, you're uh-huh. kidding me. This is. Just on that quality alone, it stunk. You know, oh. if I, even if I went the subject matter, let that go, it, it was not written well. So you have to, and that's what I'm okay. saying. When you're inauthentic, you also write bad too, because you're trying to force stuff that's not really true. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that was also part of his breakdown or whatever he was having his life experience. I don't know, because I read one of his academic papers. I know the guy can write, but he, he certainly can't write poetry in that instance. Uh huh. Uh huh. Oh. Okay. Well, God bless him. I'm hoping to see him again, but who knows? I might have offended him by now. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. And if he listens to your podcast and he hears himself being portrayed like this, whoops. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not naming them and I'm not saying the Right, right. You didn't like name him. Yeah, I don't, didn't that. Name I don't him. try to embarrass people, but when I tell people I reply, that's not a joke. I really do. That That is cool. That's good. That's, that's neat. Um, well... Uh, well, what's, anyway. up, what's up next? I mean, are you working on some new things? Yes. Well, I I told you when, when we first started chatting that I'm working on, I've written a memoir about my mentally handicapped daughter. She lives in a group home now. Um, but I'm in the revision stage. And that is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, I think, yeah. the, the revising. I, I, some days I feel like I just want to throw out my hands and go, who cares? Mom, my daughters can read it, and I'll leave it you know, when I'm dead. You know, they can, it's a legacy. Um, but I thought, I think it's a story that would resonate well, at least with people, other people with handicapped children, with that experience in families. And and, and lots of women, women would appeal to the story. And I feel like it has a home somewhere and I don't want to give up. Um, So I'm working on that because I because I like writing about it. And and it's therapeutic again. This is why I write because it's therapy for me. Um, (laughs) And that's what I'm working on. I've I've got like 35 chapters. I uh, probably have edited, revised, edited, first revision, um, the first 12, 13. And that's about where I am now. And it's slow. It's a slow process. It, it is. And it's, it's, and it's worth it. And definitely next year we're going to have a you on again so we can talk about that once you get that out there. Because uh, it'll be a, a, an interesting and important topic to 
you know, bring to the audience. And uh, I definitely want to continue to encourage you to, to do that because there's not enough of those stories out there. Uh, I don't know anything, okay, about autism other than academically what I've, you know, what I've read about. But I've come across a lot of writers that, um, that, that deal with that with their children or in their families. And so I've learned more and become more sensitive to it and encouraged them more to talk about that because that's also important as well. These are the kind of stories that, that, that need to be out there because not only are they going to have a ready connection, but they're going to have what, what I feel is a therapeutic value on the other end too, not just for you, but also for somebody else saying, God almighty, somebody yeah. now knows something that I'm dealing with. Right. Um, a lot of my friends, I have a lot of friends who have a spe special needs children, too. And there's different levels of disability, uh, mental disabilities. My daughter it would be considered um, profoundly mentally handicapped. Uh, she lives in a group home because she isn't able to read. She can speak. She can. She's social. She's a very happy girl. But she's 36 years old and, you know, can't really manage on her own, well, can't manage on her own. And so the story I'm really writing about is about from the early years of learning that this is what her future would be, not accepting it, and then actually still not accepting it, but living with it. So I'm not sure how, if I were to write a pitch or trying to get an agent and write a pitch about, I, I'm still like struggling. Well, where would I start? What would I say in five, in 25 words? Cause I was reading about that yesterday, write a pitch in 25 words. Well, this is what I've got and I can't, and I don't know, I don't know how to deal with it, but I'm dealing with it. That would be the pitch. Well, this is, this is my pitch to you. Okay. Yes. Don't do the pitch yourself. You, you're, just, you're just too darn close to the material. Right. Have somebody else give you a hand on it. It doesn't mean you have to accept what they're saying, you know, hook, line, sinker. But you might find that their detachment from it could be a, a better marketing tool for you. And then, of course, you can edit it or, you know, take or, or reject whatever you want. But I really think that you'd be better off doing that rather than trying to do that yourself because you, you're going to find it hard. You're also going to find it um, – uh, might not be the best pitch that, that's going to help your book out because you remember the other person on the other end, they're not trying to consider, well, well, she's really had a lot to deal with over here. Let, let me give uh -huh. her a break and check this out. Uh -huh. that, that person is reading they all kinds care. of stuff a hundred times. Yeah, they're reading a hundred things a day. Whatever they jumps at them is what they want. Whatever doesn't jump at them, that's too bad. Have a good right, time. Right, right. So you would be better to have a third person look at that or maybe have a couple of people kind of give you their own pitches about this. Hell, I, I right. give my own shot as well. Just, I, I wouldn't bother me at all. But I really think you'd be better off doing that, just because um, you you really need uh, that that marketing uh, approach to it more more than the the mom mm -hmm. approach to mm -hmm. it, or, or mm -hmm. the mom slash writer approach to it. Well, that that's in my in my uh, ideas of what I'm going to do in the, as far as the future going going forward with this is I anticipate doing that. Um, but I'm not there yet. So I'm like looking forward to it. So I'm very excited about that and about telling that my side of the story, because at first when I was writing the story, I thought it's about her. And as I kept writing and rewriting and revising, I realized it's not about her. It's about me. It's about me deal accepting. It's about accepting what you get in your life. And everybody accepts it differently. I have other friends who have handicapped children, and they're going. Their take on it is, it's a blessing. It's the greatest blessing. 
I never had, I don't feel that way. I, I don't feel like it's the greatest course either. I feel like this is what I've got and it's hard. And I love my daughter. I love all my children. But I, I don't, I wouldn't say, well, I pick this. If this were something I'd pick out of the group, right. what can you have? This, this right. wouldn't be something I would choose, but I, it chose me. That's a, that's an honest sentiment that you have. Uh-huh. And hopefully uh-huh. you include that in the book because I've, I've heard this so many times from people and I, because I don't have a lot of experience in this subject, but what I would say just being as candid as I can be without trying to be harsh mm-hmm. is that I think that's a natural thing to feel and it, you should never associate it with, uh, well, that means I love this person less. It just means that. You're acknowledging that it's a harder journey than most people have to deal with, and then you kind of move from there. I don't think there's anything wrong to say that, and I think in the past, people used to get ostracized and and feel they're not supposed to say anything. They're supposed to say all this hallmark stuff. Right. But there's nothing hallmarky, if that's a word, (laughs) you know, about how to raise a child under those circumstances and and understand that whatever you, you, you do, it might not be enough just because of the ailment that they're dealing with. And there's not really, you know, a way to, to handle that properly or maybe to even correct that. And it's just an ongoing thing that people have to, to face and, and to live with. And, and I, I think that, that that's really purely the, the way that you should you should feel and even you should write about it on, well, on, the, on the subject. Because I think that's the – I feel that's the right way to go and it's the best connection for people rather than trying to use this thing that people use a lot, this whole blessing thing. I, right. I, I don't make fun of those people for saying that. I understand the underlying reason of why they're saying that. I, I just don't agree. Well, that, that's how I feel when I hear it. I don't, I, I kind of bristle like, yeah. um, I don't feel that way, but I, I, don't, I don't fault them for saying it. That's how they feel. We're all entitled to our feelings, but I'm very, very honest in my story about how I feel. And about the way I look at it. And so I think that the reader would connect with that is uh, I show I'm very honest, brutally honest sometimes. Like I show my my bad side. And I think that's a good thing that that's okay to I mean, like take all your clothes off and say, here, look at me. This is me. (laughs) That's kind of what it's like, like just revealing yourself naked. I really don't think anything's wrong with that. I think it's the the, the process uh, of going through it, it, it all. It, as people have different aspects of of their personality come out that maybe would come out more in that circumstance, you know, than 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 the average in the individual, uh-huh. you know. But I, I I would be like you, and I might even be more more gruff than you because I I would I would honestly sell somebody really. This is a blessing. <laughs> what opposed to you not having this blessing? So what does this mean? Uh, God uh, thinks I'm, I'm some great person and you're, you're not. It doesn't make any sense. When you think of these words that people use, if you put them in the full context, they don't make any sense. That's why those words don't make any sense to me because they don't really ring true. You know, what does ring true is that a, a person can go through this in a loving manner and, and then fall down sometimes in, in how they feel about it and how they handle it and, and even how they express certain things because they're human. And there's nothing right. wrong to right. be human and still be a mother and, and, and be human and still love your daughter and, and be human and still write a, a book that that's not going to uh, make you to be some uh, Mother Teresa, but it's not making you to be some bad person either. I, I'm a mother. I'm a human. I love my daughter. This is the story. I think people will find that kind of candor a lot more refreshing. 
I think so. I think so. I think it's going to, I think it's going to be successful, but we'll see what happens. And in the meantime, I am enjoying um, writing about it and the writing process and learning how to reveal, uh, to really show the reader how, how this feels, what this scene looks like, what, and what, what, what it felt like so that they can kind of experience, experience my world and the, and the way I looked at it. Um, well, I, so. can't, I can't wait to read it one day, and, and I certainly <laughs> encourage you on this important project out there. I really think that, you know, it, it has an audience waiting, uh, possibly oh, waiting a long time for people to say things that are, that are simply more straightforward than, than couching things. It's one of the problems that, I, that I've always had with, with folks on, on issues where they concern a disease or a condition or a deformity or even a developmental issue is that people, instead of just trying to find the best way to deal with it, you know, they, they, they run for some metaphor or they run behind the couch or they, they run for a, a, a Bible verse instead of just, just facing it. Because the sooner we face things, it might not be the easiest way to go about things, but ultimately it's the healthiest. Mm-hmm. There, Yeah, there's a paradox there. You want to face it, yet also you don't want to accept it. Well, me, that I mean... Yeah, I'm hearing these words. In fact, the story opens up with being um, told that this is what uh, was going to happen, that this is what you, what's in store for you. Um, I use some powerful words, and I think it's a good hook. Anyway, one day I'll share it. So uh, that's the, that's what I'm working on right now. I think that's going to be great. I, I, really, I really definitely encourage you and you have my email address, so if you have any more encouragements, just let me know. I'll send you an encouraging email. Okay. okay. That sounds good. That sounds good. And um, some other things are going on that uh, I have stories like, i got to write about that. That happened. Um, but it's always about something that happened to me. I'm not a fiction writer where I'm going to write a story about uh, a queen in the sci-fi world and horror. horror. I figure I can write what I know. They say write what you know, and that's what I know is my the things that happen to me and my experience of the world. So that's where I come from, and that and that's where the my phantom ovary story came from. It originated from ah, this is happening to me. Exactly, but don't forget, fiction is not just you know Batman running around in, in tights beating up people. Fiction is also literary fiction where you could write things that are generally true about your life and just fictionize it a little bit to make the story a little little cooler, a little more snappier. And that's still fiction. So you don't have to be doing any of these, you know, queen of the planet and laser beams flying everywhere and <laughs> running around half naked with guns. You don't have to do any of that, okay? I can't. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, anyway, um, but writing is to me is uh, really, really fun. I get, I get a lot of excitement out of it. So... I mean, I'm, I'm in the, I get, I'm 68, so I'm in my twilight years. I'm like, how much time do I have left? I'm hurry up and do this. Yeah, that but, was my last episode. I literally had that quote in there somewhere, I think. I, <laughs> I tell, think I heard that. Yeah, yes, I, I, was, I heard that. I'm not that. trying to be mean, but I was, because I, I, I deal with a lot of older writers as well as younger people, too. So, I mean, sometimes they meander around or, or just get their places stuck somewhere, and I'm like, listen, this is... <laughs> You don't know how much time you have left. I mean, I, I tell you, this this month alone in December, and I even mentioned it in the show, it's the truth. I had like four people die that are either customers or, or, or relatives of customers out of the blue, just die. So you just yes. don't know what yeah. time you have. And, and, and for you to say, 
you know, yeah, I'm going to take uh, three weeks on this essay because I just want it to be perfect. Sometimes you just have to make a decision about this is good enough after my fifth revision. Let me just throw it out there and go on to something else because you don't know what time you have left. I don't want to be grim. I'm not trying to be negative, but I'm just being honest. You know, it could be sitting on the computer and you're dead. I understand that. I understand. But my husband keeps telling me, just do it from the joy of, of writing. Don't do it with a mo Once I, I used to, I mean, I think I started this project over 10 years ago, and it was always about, got to get it done, got to get it done. But once I let go of, I have to have a um, meet this goal, and, and let that go, that disappear, whether it gets published or not, once I let that need for approval or, or acceptance from the world, validation, once I let that go, I was like having a better time of it and enjoying it more. And I think the writing started flowing a little bit easier when I stopped worrying about it. Because I think I was, I was at 100 pages. The story is now 380 pages. But I was at 100 pages thinking that, and I couldn't go further because I kept worrying about what's going to happen. Once I let go of that expectation of what's going to happen and the worry and the fear, well, I was free to do whatever I wanted. Yeah, I, I understand. I understand what your husband is saying too, but just don't forget that, you know, that comment from him is coming from a, a non-artistic mm -hmm. viewpoint because, you know, he cares more about his wife than about what you're writing. And, and that's fine. That's probably who he should be. Yeah, he but, wants me to go kayaking with him. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't blame him. I mean, that's just, that's a normal that's a normal thing. It's <laughs> you have to build your own defenses as a writer to understand that oftentimes friends or even family won't always be supportive on a twenty four seven basis because they're not living in the world you're living in when you're writing. So sometimes you just have to gently push them back and, and do your mm -hmm. own, do your own thing. You know, you don't want to alienate them, but of course you always have to remind remind yourself that. They don't always get it. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good. Anyway, <clears throat> um, so I, I I don't know what else to say about writing. I, I think I've covered everything I could think of. Yeah, and I, I definitely appreciate you having you on here and talking about your life and and, and your writing. Uh, always they're not one and the same, but you know they're they're a lot interconnected, and and that's great. We're certainly looking forward to. More uh, of your work uh, down the line. Certainly looking forward to talking to you again, especially about that, that memoir. That's, that's going to be an, uh, an incredible effort. Anything I can help along that line, let me know. I'll be happy to do so. I know you also have David in your corner. Can't get anybody better than him, especially since oh, yes. this is what he does on a regular basis. God bless him. In fact, I, I've been actually trying to get him on the show for a year now. and He wants to be on the show, but we've had so many scheduling problems. One time uh -huh. we had to go to a doctor. Another time we had a family thing. Uh, and then other times I've had issues, so we're, we're going to eventually get there. Oh, he'd be a great person yeah, to interview. We, he, he wants me to be on the show, yeah, so it's just a matter of just trying to get him over here, and then we'll eventually do it. It's, just, it's been difficult. I think yeah, we had like seven or eight attempts, and it's, each one of them failed. So Aww. it happens. Yeah. It, it, I don't take anything bad from it. It's going to eventually happen. I actually talk to him at least three or four times a week. Seriously? Yeah. Well, he, he's an incredible teacher. Uh, he has a wealth of information. Yeah, we talk, um, we talk a, a great deal, and um, he listens to the show. So sometimes he has pointers for me. Other times he's like, wow, I think I'm going to have the, the class listen to that show. It kind of illustrates something better than what I'm doing. Other times he, he's like, uh, yeah, I'm not really getting that one. It happens, but uh, I, I like talking with the guy, and uh, he's, a, he's a very, uh, I, I find, a wise person in, in, in writing. So 
it's good to talk to somebody that I, I can bounce things off myself. So I definitely can't wait to have him on, on, on board. Right. No, no he was the one who told me to send my story to your magazine. So that's the connection. There, there's a connection there, too. Yeah, I don't want to sound self-serving, but uh, he, as you can <laughs> tell, his judgment is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate thank it. Thank you for making the time. I know it took a little while to get you on here aboard, but that's sort of normal in this situation. Um, I got a, another interview I'm actually doing immediately after yours, so that's going to be a, a, another fun example. I'm putting together the December schedule, so I can't guarantee if it's going to be on the latter part of December or maybe early January because I usually run about a month ahead. So okay. I'll see what I can do. But uh, I'll let you know exactly when it is going to come out because then I'll, I'll have it firmly in there. And, uh, okay, I look forward to hearing You can tell your friends and family you know, to check it out as well. <laughs> All right, I will. I'll do that, Mark. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for, for making the time and, and, and to explore writing and explore a bit about yourself over here. And, you know, when That's I ask fine. people to be candid, wow, um, <laughs> you, you've done a, a, a fine example of that. I don't, I don't know if anyone else for following you is going to be able to be as, as candid, but that's, that's fine. At least I'm ending the year with the highest mark possible. So I, I appreciate that, Catherine. God bless you. Take care of you and your family. Have a, a, a Merry Christmas. And yeah, if you don't celebrate that, a, a Happy Hanukkah. Thank you. Thank you. You, all, you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Take care. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by purchasing an ebook at Soma Publishing, www.somapublishing.com.